You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Hello and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. We are coming to you on a Monday, changing things up a bit. We realized that wait until Thursday to break down the past game was far too long. My name is Joe Hopkins. With me is Matt Adams. Disregard what you just heard because Dave Griffiths and Mike Chappell will not be on this show. Their schedules could not make it work. But they, of course, will be back Thursday to preview the Colts game against the Chiefs. But right now we want to talk about another AFC West team that gave the Colts fits, and that's the Raiders. A 31-24 to loss. Well, it, it really couldn't have gone much worse than it did for the Colts, Joe. And it, it was from the get-go on that, and we'll get to that for a minute. But, you know, the Colts are, are now 2-2. Two and two. They could have been 3-1. and one. They could have been sort of in charge of their destinies early in the season, but they could have been the only 3-1 and one team in the AFC South. All they had to do was win this game, and I was a little bit concerned going into it. Uh, they've got Kansas City next week, and this Oakland game I, I knew was one that they could win and that they should win, but not knowing what we're getting from this team sometimes on a week-to-week basis, they had a chance here to kind of separate themselves, and they just kind of blew it. There's no other way to put it, really. I'm glad you said that you were kind of worried because I had that same feeling heading into the game. It, it had all the makings of a classic trap game. You know, the praised Kansas City coming up the week after, and then a bye week. You could see how the team would look ahead, even though no one will tell you that they will. And I'm not necessarily saying that they came out and looked like they weren't interested in the game, but the Raiders are still the Raiders, but they have more talent this year. They showed that in week one when they pretty easily beat the Broncos. And they came out swinging against the Colts, got up to a quick 14 to nothing start. Um, and the Colts just kind of looked flat from the get-go. Now, there were some key injuries, and those injuries really showed up in this game. Um, the Colts looked like they did last year when T.Y. Hilton missed time, and that was pretty pathetic from the wide receiver core. Uh, T.Y. Hilton was out. Uh, five drops on the game, three of them by Eric Ebron himself. And then Deion Kane and Chester Rogers had one apiece as well. Um, while we're on the receiving core, something I wanted to bring up is there's been a lot of hype almost for two years now about Deion Kane. I realize he's basically a rookie because he never played his first year after the injury. But he led all wide receivers in snaps. He played 57. That was 73% of the snaps um, on offense during that game. And he was just a complete non-factor. He had the one drop. Um, I know last week, me and Chapel and Dave had the bet on who would lead the team in receiving yards. And I kind of picked Kane, hoping that he would kind of break out. He would get over the top. Brissett had targeted him deep a couple times. But it was really kind of disappointing to see the lack of to see the young receivers not take advantage of their opportunity. Yeah, I really want, I mean, Paris Campbell did catch five passes for 25 yards, but he had the big fumble, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, do you have targets? Did, did they target Deion Kane this week at all? I'm pulling them up right now. Because I, I can't remember. I mean, he just wasn't involved really in the game at all. And I keep, like you, Joe, I keep waiting for, for Deion Kane to break out. You know, he had the great camp last year, and then he had the injury in there. Like, oh, that's unfortunate. He had the great camp again this year, and it, kind of the hype train has been building for Deion Kane to, to get involved. And you would think with Hilton down this week, this would have been the perfect opportunity to get him involved in the game plan. It, it just, 
it just didn't happen for him this week. I don't know if, you know, having trouble getting separation from DBs, that's always been kind of a problem with the Colts sometimes. And I was just real, uh, it was just too bad to see because I, I keep thinking that Deion Kane's going to break out and it just, it just hasn't happened. Yeah, it hasn't happened. He didn't have a single catch on the day. Um, we know he was targeted because he had the drop. Um, that That's right. That's that right. might have been his only one, but he, he really didn't do much. Um, and, and the previous week, or not the pre, but but the game he did uh, draw that pass interference penalty a couple games ago, uh, and technically though it wasn't a target because uh, since it was a penalty, the it penalty didn't count as a, an attempt. The but, so they're they're really not going to him very much, and I'm kind of surprised by it really. Kind of surprised by it, but if he's not getting the separation on his routes, you can't blame the quarterback for looking the other way. Speaking of the quarterback, Brissett, mm, his stat line looks better than it really was during the game. Uh, he went 24-46, um, by far his worst completion percentage of the season. 265 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, was not sacked in this contest. But it just kind of seemed like all game the Colts were dinking, they were dunking, and you never saw the big play over the top. He tried to hit Paris Campbell a couple of times. One in particular, there were four defenders on him when he did try. It just doesn't seem like the Colts are getting the big plays necessary to be the running team that they want to be. Well, and that's the thing. I will say, at least for this game, in past weeks I didn't think they tried too much to try to get over the top. They did make some, take some shots this week. None of them were successful. And like you said, that, that just really does hurt your, your offensive balance when you cannot have that threat of that long ball, then it really does limit your options. We'll get more into the offense in a minute, but running down the key injuries, Darius Leonard and Malik Hooker, arguably the Colts' best two defenders, missed time as well. Uh, their presence was definitely, or their lack of presence, was definitely noticeable. Um, now, players did step up. Um, Kari Willis had nine tackles and a pass defense. He looked very good. But even on that pass defense, that's a play that Malik Hooker intercepts. Yeah, he, I mean, he's going to gra- totally grab that one and, yeah, and intercept it. Willis has it right in his bet- red basket. The Colts needed a play. That could have been one of the plays that really turns the game around, and it wasn't. That's the difference between a good player and these game-changing players. And, you know, the Colts' defense, the way it's set up is they give up one of the highest completion percentages in the league. They're set up to... Not give up big plays. They'll give you the little stuff underneath. But while you dink, dunk, dink, dunk, they'll get the big plays that make a difference. They're waiting for you to make a mistake, basically. And then they they pounce on it. And this team is... Uh, either the other teams aren't making any mistakes, or the defense isn't able to pounce on it right now. It's it's really it's really not been a good defensive performance for four games so far. It really hasn't. Um, the Colts have given up the ninth most points in the NFL, twenty five and a half per game, and. The two two teams that have given up more per game, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, play tonight. So Ooh. by tomorrow, the ranking could be even worth if that's a low scoring game tonight. I mean, how do you when you're when you're a football fan and you're watching a game and your your team has third nine? Usually, you're expecting that your team's going to stop the other team. Your your offense is going to get the ball back. Unfortunately, with the way that the Colts have been playing on defense right now, when that other team is in third eight, third nine, you're just expecting them to complete a eleven yard pass down the seam and get a first down and that's just what happens yeah and a big reason for that has got to be the lack of pass rush the Colts after having eight sacks throughout the first two games 
now have one sack over their last two, and that pass rush that looked like it was going to be something the Colts could hang their hat on all year suddenly has disappeared, and that was with Jabal Sheard coming back this week. Um, There's a lot of injuries on the Colts' defense, not so much on the front line, so that's got to be concerning, especially against the Raiders and the Falcons, two teams where offensive line is not their strong suit. No, I mean, they even had uh, some back, uh, a backup in for the Raiders yesterday uh, halfway through the game, and it didn't really make much of a difference. They didn't really sniff Carr very much yesterday. Um, and, you know, I, I can't... Jabal Sheard, it's his first game action that he's seen. Uh, to me, it was a surprise that he played. Yeah. I think everybody thought that he was maybe another week or two away from getting into the game. Um, I, I would say his impact was negligible. It was good to see him out there, but hes I don't think he's quite in... He's not in top form yet, you know, and so it didn't have a a huge impact that I was kind of hoping that he would have when he came back. He's not in top form, and he's never really been the player who you can kind of count on 10 sacks per year anyway. He's going to get pressures. He's going to be reliable on defense. He's going to set the edge, but he's not really the guy that you hope, you know, you can count on in those moments to get home to the quarterback. He's more of the guy that kind of does all the little things, and he's better than his stat line shows. He's good at disruption, and we didn't even really see that in in this game. But again, I'm not going to be too hard on the guy. It's his first game back. He's coming back from a pretty bad injury. so I was happy he just played. I'm just glad that he was in the game. Um, And and I, I try to remind myself, too, uh, last season, the Colts, the, the defense kind of showed some of the same tendencies that we see now. And they did sort of shore things up. And um, so I'm hoping that maybe we'll see that here in a few more games. Um, some of the younger guys kind of getting into it and, you know, so that they, they can, the, the system makes more sense to them. Maybe they, they're able to kind of fill these run gaps and play a little bit better in their zones because, gosh, there's just so many holes in coverage that, that the quarterback's finding. And a lot of it does come back to what you were saying, though, about they're not getting to the quarterback, so uh, those throwing lanes are open. Absolutely. You talk about the young players. The Colts started three rookies on defense. Uh, Rocky Sin and Kari Willis both played 100% of the defensive snaps. And then Bobby Okariki played 85%. He It was another game in which he had a lot of tackles, but he, as far as lane assignments, discipline, sticking to his gap, he gave up a lot of big plays as a, a well. A couple of times I noticed Okri, he looked, and, and again, I, Joe is more of an X and O guy than I am. I'm, I'm more of a, a layman fan, but I could still tell in, in some position, in some instances, Okariki was just out of position, and that allowed you know a cutback or he couldn't get off his block to, to stop something, and, and it was noticeable to me. Absolutely. But like you said, hopefully these are young players and while they're going through their growing pains, they have a lot of talent and they showed it and they'd give up a play and then they'd come back and make one. And so you hope by the end of the year, they're making more plays than they're giving up, but it can make things difficult in the beginning of the season. Um, As far as big plays, they gave up a lot in the first game against the Chargers. I keep wanting to say San Diego against the Chargers. I'll just stick with San that. Diego <laughs> Super Chargers. I mean, everybody knows that. It's, right. it's hard. It takes a few seasons before we get that down. As far as big plays, though, they've really tightened things down since that game. They gave up just two plays of 20 or more yards um, on Sunday. One of them was the 60-yard end around to Trevor Davis that just... That dri- was deflating, man. Oh, man. On on the first play of the series, too, they were already up seven to nothing, and then just on a trick play to get a sixty-yard touchdown, it was just too easy for the Raiders. Um, the other twenty-yard play was a little dump off to Josh Jacobs, and he's a very talented running back, and he made a couple people miss and got twenty yards out of it. But the defense, 
by design is doing their jobs and limiting the big plays, but they're not capitalizing on that by making the splash plays that really turn the game around. Um, let's see, looking at it, the Raiders went 5 of 12 on third down. They're also 1 on 1 on fourth down. So they were, you know, it's not like every third down they were giving it up, but they made it just, it, it just felt like it, especially in key situations. They were just able to convert key situations and that was kind of the key with penalties as well the Colts again won the penalty category by a wide margin Raiders had 11 penalties for 80 yards Colts had just five for 35 yards but every time the Colts did get a penalty it seemed to be one that brought back a good play yeah it it brought back a good player it made this conversion situation harder and they just couldn't recover from it Um, and there was a big disparity there and uh, but again, like you said, it just key moments. Those penalties hit, and they they really hurt the team. Key moments. We talked about the Raiders got off to a quick start, fourteen to nothing, almost immediately. Um, but then in the second half, things kind of turned around. The defense only allowed three points. Um, the offense got a little bit more going, and they had a chance to win it at the end. About five minutes left. Jacoby Brissett, and he throws the pick six. I hate to say it because he had so many good comebacks, but that really kind of felt like a Andrew Luck moment in that time where you're leading the team down. And then that was the first really bonehead interception that you'd seen from Brissett all season. And it felt like he was just forcing it because he knew he had to get something on this drive. Hey, the other interception he threw earlier this year, he had tried to get to T.Y. Hilton. The ball was thrown a little bit behind him. The defender cut it off. It was just kind of, oh, you didn't make the throw. This was like, why are you throwing the ball? Yeah. And and we have not, like you said, uh, Brissett does a pretty good job of um, not holding on to the ball is not what I'm looking for, but keeping it, taking care of the football. And he doesn't usually do things just randomly throwing the ball right to a defender, which this one did, and it was killer because it just it went right back through the end zone. It reminded me of... Uh, last season when the Colts played the, the Bengals in the opener, mm. and they had a chance to to go downfield and maybe tie things up after having not a good game, and they threw the ball to Doyle. Doyle got hit. He fumbled the ball. That got returned for a touchdown, and it it's just so deflating, and that, that was pretty much the end of that ball game, and this was pretty much, I mean, the Colts, the Colts gave it a go there. They, they didn't completely fold after that, but, you know, now you've got a 14-point deficit, and there's not much time left in the game. 14-point deficit. Um, the Jacoby Rousset, it was actually his longest completed pass of the season, 48-yarder to Eric Ebron. That kind of made the score look better. It made Brissett's stat line look better. Um, But it really, without that onside kick afterwards being successful, really kind of was just for show. Um, The Colts tried the onside kick with about a minute left. It went out of bounds from what I recall. Actually, they didn't. They kind of did sort of a pooch kick. A on a, pooch they, kick. They, they didn't even really make a what I would call an honest attempt to make a, okay. an, an onside kick. It's a little, a little difficult working while watching the game. Yeah, but yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and and they, they talked to Frank Reich after the game, and they asked him why didn't you just do a, do an onside kick? And he said, "Well, the the odds are those are, are low, so we didn't think that we wanted to, to try to do one." And I understand that, but also coming back from a 14-point deficit when you're, you know, with not much time left, the odds are low that you're going to come back into the game. If they had gone for the onside kick, there is a chance. It's a small chance, but there's a chance that you recover the football. If you don't, you still have your three timeouts, and you still have the chance to stop the Raiders. Now, you're not going to have as good field position uh, than you would if you kicked the ball deep, 
but you still have that chance. I would have said that gives you two chances to maybe get the ball back, and I, I would I would have taken them both. I would have gone for the onside kick, rolled the dice, see if you got it, and then if you didn't get it, then you still have that chance to stop the Raiders. You've got your timeouts. You're not going to get the ball with a whole lot of time left if you do stop them, but at least it gives you a chance, and, and I, I think they should have gone for that. And giving up a first down regardless as if what – point on the field it is ends the game anyway so it doesn't matter if they do it at the, at the 25 yard if they start the ball at the 25 yard line or they start near, near midfield if yeah. they get that first down the game's over so again it's not a it's not a it's not a big chance and i i understand that but it is a chance so you go ahead and maximize the chances that you've got you might be able to get that ball you might be able to recover it from the onside kick if you do then you have a chance to win the game if not then you've got to ask your defense which did not stop the run very well this week to get three stops, you yeah. know, and, and get that ball back with probably less than a minute left in the game. Yeah, that was a, certainly a questionable decision there. Um, I understand where he's coming from. And I think probably between the low chance of getting the onside kick and field position, he was thinking if we have to bet on a stop regardless, maybe getting that stop at the 25 or something of that nature, as opposed to your 40. Um, would would be a little better, but nonetheless, heading into Kansas City next week, we're not going to preview that game. We'll do that Thursday, but based on what you saw against the Raiders, what would be one of the biggest things that you say the Colts need to get cleaned up besides T.Y. Hilton getting healthy? Well, I, I mean, defensively, just get get the assignments, tighten up those zones a little bit. And they've, they've got to find ways to get pressure. We, we've said this now for a couple weeks. They've got to find ways to get pressure. But, you know, Mahomes, I, I don't think it's really going to matter all that much. He's going to be able to sit back there. And, um, you know, if you bring an extra guy on him, he's going to eat you alive. If you sit back in your zone and you can't get a pass rush with four, he's going to eat you alive. So I guess I'm not too optimistic. Now, the thing is, I thought that they could beat Oakland this week. As a matter of fact, with, with T.Y. Hilton and his quad injury, I thought, well, if you're going to sit him out, if you need some time, this is the game to do it. Because I think you guys, if you play well, you can beat Oakland. And they didn't. So I was thinking that about this game, even though I was a little apprehensive about it. Next week, I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a complete disaster and a meltdown against Kansas City. And maybe it won't be. You know, because a lot of times, as we find in sports, Sometimes what you think is going to happen based on conventional wisdom or, or whatever isn't what actually does happen. So maybe they're able to to play a little bit better. Maybe they catch Kansas City in an off game. I don't know. Yeah, that'll be interesting. We'll get much more into that on Thursday. Something that I thought was really concerning was the run game here. Oof. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, if you listen to the last podcast, we had talked about the importance of setting up the run um, several people on the podcast, including Chapel, really expected this to be a big Marlon Mack game. And the opposite happened. Before the, we get into usage, the Colts only averaged 3.5 yards per carry. And if you take away but what Brissett did, it was about 3.4. Um, Marlon Mack did suffer an ankle injury in the fourth quarter. The serious of that is unclear. Um, but... Down the stretch, there was a lot of Naheem Hines who led the backfield in snaps. There was a lot of uh, Jordan Wilkins. And kind of has to be concerning for Colts fans who thought this was going to be okay. Brissett will take care of the ball. We'll run it. We'll be a run first team. The defense will, you know, do its job on the other end. If the Colts are leaning on Brissett to throw the ball 45, 46 times a game. That's not a recipe to win. No, no, it's not. And that's exactly what we've said at the beginning of the season. Now, 
with, with this offensive line that we keep hearing, and, and they're they're very good. I, I'm not saying that they're not, but we hear that, that people keep pounding into us in the media that the Colts have an elite offensive line here in this league. That elite offensive line should be able to run the ball against the Raiders. They were not able to do that, and I was kind of alarmed at the very beginning of the game because the first the first possession of the game, the, the Colts' first play that they had after the Raiders scored their quick touchdown was a run, unbalanced line, right side. They run this play all the time. They're usually able to get yards out of it. Instead, Marlon Mack gets stuffed for a two-yard loss on the very first play. And sometimes that happens. Okay, yeah, a guy lines up out of position or something like that or doesn't get his block or a defender's somewhere where you don't expect him to be. But they usually are able to clean that up, and they never really did. They really never got anything running, uh, going in the run game. And I think Brissett was their second top rusher, wasn't he? He was from some scrambles that he had. So, uh, and that's you know, they didn't run the ball particularly well last week, but they ran it effectively enough that it remained a threat. And when they needed that run game at the end in the four minute offense, they were able to just kind of blow the other team off the line. Their backs made some plays, and, you know, they got the first downs and were able to run out the clock. There was nothing like that going on this week. Something I remember from the first game, which was far and away the Colts' best running game. They had over 200 yards. It really didn't get going until the second half. The vast majority of the running yards was in the second Mm -hmm. half, and Sirianni and Frank Wright, after the game, talked about that's why we have to stick with the run. That's half, why we have to establish a run because you get three yards, two yards, three yards, four yards, five yards. Eventually, Marlon Mack is going to pop one. And once he pop ones, that opens everything else up. And looking at the Colts over their last four games over this season, week one, 29 running back rushing attempts. I'm not counting brissettes because most of those are not designed runs. They're just scrambles. 29 running back rushing attempts. Week two against Tennessee, 27. Week three against Atlanta, 21. And then last week, 18 against the Raiders. And then you look at just Marlon Mack. His carries have gone down from 25 to 20 to 16 to 11. And that is just not the kind of football the Colts have to play. I think despite falling down 14 nothing early, they needed to stick with the run in this game. And maybe Marlon Mack's you know, ankle injury in the second half had more to do with that than we can originally tell, but I think the Colts have to get back to running the ball, especially if they're going to want to consistently be able to control the ball and control the clock because the Raiders won time of possession by a large margin in this as well. Well, and, and you you hit it there. A lot of those yards come in the second half because that offensive line from the Colts is able to wear out that other defense. And okay, so maybe that run in the first half, you call a run, and maybe it only goes for two or three yards. Well, by the time you get into the third or fourth quarter, you call the same play. This other team's gassed. That two- or three-yard play turns into a five-yard play. It turns into a ten-yard play, and then, like you said, Mac busts one out on the outside. And But in order for that to happen, you have to stick with it, and they, they really didn't stick with it. Um, prior, I, I shouldn't They didn't prioritize it. You know, and I understand that you're down. The easiest way to try to get back into a game is to bust a big play in the passing game and get points on the board, but they've got to stick with the run because I think that's their bread and butter, and they know it. Yeah, yeah, they, they know it. They need to remember it. If they want any chance of beating Kansas City next week, they're going to have to beat them with the run because Jacoby Brissett, I have been very impressed with him this year. He's not going to win a shootout against Patrick Mahomes. I don't think anybody in this. I don't think is. anybody could could win a, a shootout with Mahomes. Yeah. I mean, it's just 
the, the Patriots were were um, fortunate last year in the playoffs in order to get past them. You know, yeah, uh, they got lucky. D Ford lined up mm-hmm. offsides. Right, right. So uh, it, that is, uh, I mean, that offense is is, dyna- is incredible and dynamic. Now, Joe, one thing um, I also wanted to mention was during this this comeback attempt, and they they made a good run at it. Um, we, we've talked about Frank Reich and how he's not afraid to roll the dice on some stuff, which is why the onside kick kind of surprised me because I know it's low risk. But fourth and two from your own 18-yard line with nine minutes left, you don't see that very often. You don't see that very often. And I, I loved it. I, I, just to be honest, I, I loved well. it. I, I loved it. I did as well. I was uh, one of the guys who, you know, a lot of people ragged on right last year for his decision to go for it against Houston. I thought that was absolutely the right call. And I thought he made the right call in this game. Because if you have to punt at that point in the game, give the ball back to the Raiders again, your chances of winning go way down. Even I- if you just give up time and a field goal, you're it's going to be really, really tough for you to get back into that ball game. So I had no problem with that at all. No problem with it at all. And for all the mistakes, the self-inflicted wounds the Colts caused to themselves on this game, they had a chance to win it at the end. They had a chance to go score. They threw a pick six. They scored again. And a defensive stop would have gave them another opportunity for a touchdown. So as poorly as they played, and I don't think they could have played much worse than they did. Especially first half, man. It's Just let them the let let the half. Raiders jump all over them. And honestly, this how ugly would this game have been if the Raiders hadn't botched that handoff? Because the Colts had been doing absolutely nothing on offense. The Raiders botched that handoff. The Colts get it, you know, in good territory. They end up getting a, a, a touchdown out of that. If they don't have that, I mean, are we even talking about they were able to keep it close and all this stuff? And the thing that's unfortunate about that turnover is it's really nothing that the Colts did. I mean, they recovered the football, but is, nobody really made a play. It was a botched handoff. Yeah, they just kind of got lucky. They, they, they were fortunate it, to pick it up. It wasn't like the Paris Campbell fumble where someone comes in, makes a play from behind, right. and knocks it out. Um, a little rookie on rookie crime there. Um, but, n- n- no, you're, you're completely right. The Colts are not forcing big plays on defense. They're not making big plays on offense. Um, the Colts are – only three teams have completed – uh, fewer passes of 20 or more yards than the Colts. Those are the New Orleans Saints, who are without Drew Brees, the New York Jets, who have been without Sam Darnold, and the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are without Ben Roethlisberger, and still play tonight. So the Colts' m- ranking might be worse in that department. they got to figure out some kind of manner to manufacture big plays because without it, teams can just kind of hone in on the running game and dare Brissett and the weapons on the outside to beat them. And without T.Y. Hilton, I don't like the chances of that. Well, yeah, and they did take some shots, as we mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, but they were not able to hit on anything. So None it's really, really, it's really not a threat. No, it's not even really a threat right now. So if you want to buckle down on that run, you can. And, and dare, yeah, Brissett played real well last week, but this week when trying to do some different things there, it just didn't, it didn't work at all in the passing game. And I know T.Y. Hilton being out is huge. I thought he would lean more on the tight ends. I thought we'd see a lot of Jack Doyle, a lot of Ebron, a lot of Mo Alley-Cox, because uh, that's what, kind of what we saw last week. And I know week to week it's different, different defenses, different game plans. Uh, and they did try to go to Ebron, who just – a couple of those catches, yeah. man. It's all right. You're going to drop a pass on occasion. Everybody's going to understand that, but – couple of the ones that he dropped were right to him and a couple of them would have been real big timely plays real big timely plays in the first half and then you know he did have the the 48 yarder at the end and that kind of shows you what kind of player he is he's kind of a boomer bust 
He'll drop some of the easy ones, and then he'll make a great play. And that was not an easy catch that he made on the 48-yarder. It, it, no. it, it's got it, As a fan and as a coaching staff, both, it has to drive you insane. Absolutely. You, you know, because that was not an easy catch to make. He makes that one. He's got some other catches in the game that are easier to make, and he can't make those. Oh, well. That's oh, how well. that's how it goes with Eric Ebron. I think we've learned that over the over the last season and, and plus that we've had with him. This is really the only game where the Colts can truly feel disappointed about the way they played. They so close to beating, you know, a true contender in the Chargers week one. Would have done it if Finitary would have made his kicks. He wasn't a problem in this game. He mm, missed the no. fifty seven yarder, nah. but you cannot blame him for no. that. Um and then they, they beat Tennessee, they beat the Falcons, and then this was the first game that it really kind of felt like the Colts let themselves down. And you kind of hope that maybe this rallies them a little bit. You saw how the losses kind of rallied them last year into you kind of not wanting to be the team that lets themselves down. And, and I think Frank Wright is the kind of coach who can take that and run with it with his players. And we'll just have to see how that plays out going forward. Um, any last thoughts before we wrap things up here? I, I was just going to say that, you know, I, I, this was the first game of the year where I felt like the Colts would be kind of favored and have some momentum. And being that no one knew what, really what to expect from this team once their franchise quarterback decides to hang it up in the offseason, to be 2-1 and one going into this game and to be favored and have a chance to go 3-1, and one, I was e- interested to see how they would respond. Unfortunately, they didn't respond in the way that I had hoped that they would. They, they let the Raiders jump on them, and they were just playing catch-up all game and just could, could never get to it. So that that's... The, intent, the intangibles of that, I was disappointed. And I thought the coaching staff had had them a little bit better prepared, and I thought that they would respond better than they did this week. Well, hopefully they can uh, respond better next week against the Chiefs. We'll get into that on Thursday. We got to go because the Full Steam Ahead podcast needs to come in here Boy, and make a recording. Um, he says Boiler Up. I am an IU alum. I will never say that. But if you are a Purdue fan, you should check out that podcast as well as the um, – Indie Justice Podcast and In Focus Podcast as well. Several podcast programs here at Fox 59 and CBS 4. All wonderful that you should check out. Um, I am Joe Hopkins. With me today is Matt Adams. We will be doing this post-game recap every Monday for the rest of the season. Um, you can follow the Colts Blue Zone at Colts Blue Zone on Twitter. Pretty simple. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you Thursday. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs>